Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to Truest Blood, the official True Blood podcast. I'm Kristen Bauer. And I'm Deborah Ann Wool. And you've been invited in. I want to do bad things. On Truest Blood. Welcome back to Truest Blood, where we sink our fangs into the series episode by episode. This week, we drop the beat with Keep This Party Going, written by Brian Buckner and directed by Michael Lehman. And Deb, what episode is this again? This is episode 202. (laughs) (laughs) And in this episode, the denizens of Bontomp try to outrun their mistakes, some more successfully than others, but an unresolved Uh past will always catch up with you. And this week, we get to interview the amazing director, Michael Lehman. Not only was he a fixture directing True Blood, but he also directed the iconic Heathers and kind of every cool TV show, The Comeback, West Wing, Larry Sanders, Big Love, True Blood, Californication, Dexter, American Horror Story. I mean, this interview, stick around. But before we get to that, this week on True Blood. Jason is thriving at church camp. When an early friendship with fellow footballer Luke turns into a rivalry, he holds his own and impresses the Newlands, especially the preacher's calmly wife, Sarah. But all Jason can think about is Eddie. Tara, on the other hand, only has eyes for eggs, and this time she wants to do things right. When it comes to men, I've got a long history of putting the cart so far out in front that the horse can't see it. Eggs reveals a troubled past, which concerns Tara, and as Marianne continues to coddle her, she starts to wonder if Marianne is a little too good to be true. While the vampires sleep at Fantasia, Lafayette goes to extreme lengths to free himself, only to be caught at the front door by none other than Ginger, holding a gun. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You're human, right? Kind of, but I ain't letting you go, if that's what you're thinking. In a panic, she shoots him in the leg. Later that night, surrounded by Eric, Pam, and Chow, Lafayette, always the survivor, makes one last offer. Make him a vampire and he will use his many talents to benefit them and the bar. They consider it while they feast on his blood. Back in Bon Tom, Mariana started a rager in the middle of Merlot's. Furious, Sam pulls her into his office, demanding that she take back the money he stole and leave town. Damn it, Marianne, this is my bar. These are my people. This is my town. But surprisingly, Marianne doesn't care about the money. Instead, she begins to vibrate, 
Sam keels over in pain and is forced to shift into dog form. She chides that this isn't about him and suggests he stay out of it as she can make him shift anytime and anywhere. While Bill and Sookie bask in their afterglow, Sookie finds herself feeling for Jessica's predicament. And despite Bill's warnings about impulsive young vampires, she agrees to take Jessica to see her human family. Things quickly go south as Jessica talks her way inside and when her father threatens violence, takes it to another level. Go ahead, Daddy. Get your belt. But this time, I'll be ready for you. With her fangs out, but before she can do permanent damage, Bill breaks down the door, glamours his way in, and stops Jessica. Irate, he throws Sookie out of the house, remaining behind to clean up her mess. Nelson Ellis mm-hmm. acting this Lafayette trying to escape and negotiate <gasps> with the terrorists. Star of the show. I mean, yeah. he is just a master of motivation and tension. He tries every yeah. possible angle. It's great. Yeah. The arc is unbelievable because we see him in the <laughs> saw room. <laughs> We're in the commentary, you know, he said that was hard for him to shoot. We'll get of into course. right. It was hard. And he Whew. said he had nightmares and increased his insomnia. Yeah. And then we see him in the office and he's trembling. Yeah. Trembling is hard to recreate or to act. And it tires out your body. I mean, it, yes. you know, we all know it, but it's it's always bears, it's always, always worth, you know, re-mentioning that the three-minute scene that we watched uh-huh. took us all day mm-hmm. to shoot. And you're doing that over and over and over again for many yeah. different angles and many different takes. And sometimes even when you're off camera so that the person who is on right. has the appropriate stuff to respond to. Right. So it's this constant balance between taking care of yourself and taking care of the story. Yeah. Nelson mentioned in the the commentary that Bucky gifted him a spa day (laughs) after the first two episodes were three straight weeks of shooting on that set, covered in blood, acting very physically demanding stuff. So that that's the least he could do. (laughs) Yeah. And how how cute of Bucky, right? How just wonderful. Also, you know, Michael Layman in the commentary said that that was Alex's idea when he ripped that body apart at the end to like sort of throw up blood and make that (laughs) Viking scream and he put blood in his mouth. Alex's choice to do that belch kind Mm. of set the tone for what those scenes were going to be. Yes. And I think in the same way, you know, what you were leading to is that in the scene, which Nelson said was his favorite scene of the episode to shoot, where he goes after Royce's magnetic butt piece. <laughs> yes. Like the artificial hip or something. Yes. Like the, he had to get the metal out. To free himself. And in reality, the prop was stuck. Mm-hmm. And Nelson was having trouble getting it dislodged. So he made the in-moment choice to bite it <laughs> to help get it out. And they loved it so much. They said, now you got to do it for the rest of the takes. Now it's in the show. <laughs> but again, it's these moments of like, 
you know, as an actor, it's so exciting when you have an impulse and you yeah. follow it yeah. and it adds to the story Yeah, and now it gets to be a part of this world. So that's not, you know, that's not in the script. Those are like two cool ideas that Alex and Nelson brought to the table. Two really cool ideas. And I was interested to hear how much Michael loved shooting that scene Mm. With Nelson alone, you know, there's no dialogue, yeah, there aren't other yeah. actors, and how much Nelson loved filming it. Yeah. Well, sometimes that's a lot of fun. I, I also really look forward to scenes without dialogue mm-hmm. because part of what your job is as an actor is to have, you know, what what's sort of jokingly called an inner monologue, but it's right. to be alive of, in thought, right? Yes. And sometimes when you just got lines that morning or things are shifting mm-hmm. or you were busy, whatever it is, you know, when you're speaking, it's harder to maintain both the words you say and the internal dialogue that's going on for you. And so mm-hmm. sometimes when there's no dialogue, you go, oh my God, this is like you the ultimate live. acting experience. I can yeah. just be present and just let my thoughts put their attention on what they naturally want to in this yeah. moment. And so, yeah, I agree. Those are often my favorite scenes as well. We also have, I mean, Nelson negotiating. Yes. I'm already a person, a pole moral character, so I hit the ground running. And I damn near glamour people already. But give me what y'all got, and it's on and cracking. Not only will I be a badass vampire, but I'll be your badass vampire. He's a survivor. He's trying to negotiate his way out of this. He's using his physicality, he's using his brains, he's using his charm, he's using everything he's got. I I remember a line from the first episode where, you know, he's thinking about like, what got me here? Mm. And he talks about, you know, the selling V really at the end of the day is what got him here. Right. But, you know, if we're going with past catching up with you as being sort of a theme of this episode, this is a little bit of his past catching up with him. And and in his own words from the last ep, he's like, what kind of punchline is that? You know, (laughs) Um, (laughs) that even he can have a little bit of a sense of humor in a fatal situation. And, And again, you know, it's just, it's Nelson's brilliance, specificity, commitment that is just rising to the surface in every bit of these scenes. Yeah. And I think even earlier when he comes up the first time and yes. you guys are questioning him, yeah. he has this amazing speech. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't get it twisted, honey cone. I'm a survivor first, a capitalist second, and a whole bunch of other shit after that. But a hooker dead last. I love that's in response to you because, you know, mm-hmm. he's... You know, you were like, oh, I thought uh, I thought prostitutes were tight lipped. And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> and it's just I mean, the two of you are such a I'm so glad they hooked your characters up and and you as actors, because mm-hmm. that that Me relationship. You, yeah, you two are a really good energy match, I think. And I, <sighs> I can't wait to <laughs> talk to you more about what that was. Like. I'm so grateful for every minute I had with him. Yeah. So we then also move on to a couple of other really standout moments in this episode. We have yeah. church camp. Yes. <laughs> I got tired in our outlines of writing Light of Day Institute or Fellowship of the Sun. So from now on, it's just going to be church camp. That's um, so cute. But yeah, we have, first of all, Amanda's song, Jesus oh. Asked Me Out Today. <laughs> oh, she's a genius. She's a genius. And so this is the story I heard about it was that... All of the women who are auditioning for the role were just given the lyrics to the song. So they had to, in their audition, can you imagine how scary this would be? Terrifying. 
their version of what they think that song would be. And Michael Lehman was saying they all had a very different take on what that was. Wow. Um, and many of them very good, but that when Molly Burnett, who plays Amanda, came in and her version of it was just perfection. It and sure I gotta was. say, I agree. I she, agree. Every, she only has a couple of moments in this episode, but they are, again, so specific. I know exactly who this person is. Yeah. She mesmerizes me because it's this, yeah. like, she's so sexy. Yeah. And so overt. But yet it's in this, like, Jesus icing. It's so crazy because, I mean, it's like she gets them all sexed up and, and right. riled up, right? Right. And then... And then it's like, cut it off. So it's oddly yeah, powerful. Right. But there's that moment when she hands Jason the the, the promise ring, their abstinence rings, essentially. Right. But she's so sexy when she does it. But the look in her eyes, I mean, this actress is a genius. Yeah. She looks empty. <laughs> right. Inside. And and also that like, she looks like, like an occult, you know? Like yeah, yeah. she's right. she's so pliable, right? Yeah. She's just... Steve Newland and Sarah Newland have just sort of stuck their fingers in her ears and molded her brain yeah. into exactly what they need it to be. It's so brilliant. There's a pitch at the end, like the song is, you can get it here, 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 and here. Yeah. And on iTunes. Right? And, you know, Brian Buckner, Jesus yeah. asked me yeah. out today. I mean, just only that, only Bucky could only have Bucky that, yeah. could come. Jesus <laughs> asked me out today. See that that says everything um, about what we just tried to sum up exactly. And then I think to that point, another incredibly specific character that instantly when we meet him, we know exactly who he is. Mm. Is Luke played by Wes Brown? Brilliant. You know the the competitive edge. Mm. He's always been the best at everything. He's another Jason, right? right. In many ways. Yeah. I even like in the bus. He's he's even a little dimmer, possibly than Jason. Yes. Makes a joke that Luke doesn't get, which I think right. is kind of fun. <laughs> he's so he's really good because is is that in the bus where Jason says shit and he goes don't say shit but yeah, and then just yeah. moves it's on okay, but it's okay buddy, but it's okay you know? it's okay <laughs> we forgive you but one of the bus for me is you know he makes some joke about not the McDonald from the restaurant okay and, go, and so Jason goes oh what about the one from the farm or from the song and he's like what <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> follow Jason's joke that makes me laugh so hard. We haven't met anyone where Jason's jokes go over yeah, anyone's over head. his head. Oh, dear. So they seem like they would be the best of friends and a yeah. perfect, you know, match for each other. But of course, things become a rivalry. And then Luke has one of my favorite lines. Day one might have went to you. Day two belongs to Lucanator. The Lucanator. The so. Lucanator. Oh, God, it's I so love perfect. this world. Ugh, yeah. I love this yeah. world. And then we have another one of my favorite jokes. I mean, this is, is a Bucky episode, so it's full yeah. of it's full of jokes and Bucky's puns. Bucky's so but, funny. Um, I think Bill shopping at Forever 21 for yeah. his vampire daughter, oh. who will oh. be Forever 17, is just the greatest visual pun you could <laughs> ask for, I feel. It is so perfect. Oh. And that Shopping woman who plays the yes, you know, sales lady in the store is just yes. so wonderful. And then Again, Eric shows perfect. up, his right? New hair. He has new hair. I love. We should how, talk about the new hair. We should talk about the new hair. So, so everyone hated that wig. Yes, <laughs> absolutely everyone. The wig got fired. The writers wrote yeah. it out. 
the wig got fired. It just got very, what's that like funny? Like Bob, like a It was like bob. a bob. It, it became like a bob. And then when we'd be outside in the night where it would be a little more humid, it would curl up. Like, like a Brady, like Carol Brady. Yes, like Carol Brady. And I would be watching it, wondering if I should say something to someone. Um, can that be straightened in any way? Oh like, should goodness. I, you know, should I be protecting my maker here? Right. Yeah. So we were all thrilled. Well, I mean, frankly, at the end of the day, Alex does not need any help looking like a Viking. No. What it, is it? It's yeah. all there. Yeah. That's the hilarious thing, right? <laughs> he really is still Viking. In yeah. fact, he, what did Nelson say? You know, he looks like he just came down from Mount Olympus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, he needs he needs no help from anyone to he, sell that story. He but does I love that the not. writers concertedly were like, well, we we have to come up with a reason and yeah. that the reason is that Pam was doing his highlights or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. And uh and he got blood in his hair. And and I do I think it's also very funny that he seems a little afraid of you. Yeah, I I do somewhere in me, my ego, like that, you know, he was talking about me when I wasn't there, but it was like, you know, is there blood in my hair? (laughs) What is there blood in my hair? Like he's more concerned about that than the body that he just tore into pieces or whatever. He goes, God, Pam is going to kill me. Pam is gonna kill me. Who's Pam? You want to meet her? No. No, I wouldn't. The person who's gonna kill Eric Northman, who just tore a man in half. No, you don't want to meet her. Yeah, if he's afraid of Pam, I don't want to meet her. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) And now for a quick bite. Guest star spotlight on Patricia Bethune. We all know her as the tipsy and lovable Jane Bodehouse, but that is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the talent of Patricia Bethune. She has appeared in over 50 television shows, including 19 episodes of True Blood, as well as film. And in 2019, she won an Emmy Award for her turn as evil nurse Mary Pat on General Hospital. She is also a prodigious stage actor and comedian with two Drama Logue Awards and a plethora of nominations and honorable mentions from everything from stand-up to murder mysteries. Hopefully, all that experience will keep our dear Jane safe from Marianne's influence. It's not looking good. As last we saw her dancing in the center of Merlot's, her eyes had clouded over black. Hmm, that doesn't seem to bode well for Bode House, if you ask me. Letting go of the past. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's one of the hardest things to do. Oof, I have a very, very, very hard time yeah. with that. I'm working on yeah. it. And I'm not alone, apparently, no. because Sam and Marianne have quite a past. Mm-hmm. Doesn't she say something like, was it everything you thought it would be mm-hmm. or something where it's implying it was his first? I'm pretty sure we're meant to believe that. Right. And he's awfully yes. young and he stole from yes. her. And, you know, season one, she says, did you think I wouldn't find yes. you? Your right, cute doggy that was or something. It's so creepy. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Right. You silly dog. When it's so, you know, I, you know, I joked in the recap about Sam being unflappable, but that really does feel like Sam feels like the Rock, the steady guy who can kind of weather all things, and she just terrifies him. When she starts vibrating, 
And he recognizes mm-hmm. that from his from his past. I mean, that image has clearly mm-hmm. haunted him his whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, that experience. I mean, his whole life is a lie. This this nest egg, having the bar, all of that, everything he's built from himself is based off of that right. night where he stole from right. her. And she right. told him he wasn't the only one who was special. It's so scary and wonderful. Yeah, it's so scary. And I, it's built on that, you know, seed money yes. and also secrecy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now she shows up, she knows who yep. he is and she can control yes. it so she could expose him. <sighs> I do have a question for you, yes. however. There must be some different types of ver- vibration because when they have sex, she vibrates and he doesn't turn right, into a dog right, or she'd right, be right. having sex with a dog. Right, right. Well, that's, yeah, that's a different <laughs> right, show. Right. Yeah, that's a totally different <laughs> show. But now, <laughs> but now when she vibrates, <laughs> she can turn him into a dog. So apparently she has different stations. It's different frequencies, right? Yeah, she can, it's different she frequencies, can choose which right. frequency to do, which is, but you go, how powerful is she, right? If she can do right. all these things and she has that authoritative arrogance, that Mm. thing that says, there's nothing you can do. So she's never afraid. She's never really angry. Right. Because why? She can fix it. Oh, and I'm thinking fast forward to what we're going to find out in episodes coming Mm. up from a very powerful vampire. Yes. All about who Marianne is, why she is. There's pretty, a lot pretty, uh, to reveal in all of that. Mm-hmm. And we haven't really talked about mm-hmm. it yet, but we've also, we've met Daphne, played by the wonderful Ashley Jones, and and she is doing yes. a perfect job of seeming like a, just the new waitress in town. But, uh, you know, keep your keep yeah. your eye on Daphne. I know. it's She has no idea. She clearly, Daphne doesn't watch True Blood because she doesn't <laughs> know how dangerous it is to be Sam's you waitress. Should never, no one should ever work at Merlot's. It's uh, got a very bad track no. record. I know. There's a lot of times when I watched this whole season where I was like, does Sookie not watch the show? <laughs> oh boy. Well, so speaking of being haunted by one's past, we have it in a much more literal sense, really, yeah. with Jason, who is quite literally having haunting memories and visions of Eddie, as yeah. well as Amy. And so, you know, I, like we said, yeah. we, he's he's using this experience at church camp to kind of take what he thought was a sin and turn it into a virtue. Mm-hmm. It's just a fascinating mm-hmm. storyline for him. And I, I totally buy that he's being pulled down this path because of, you know, yeah. we saw how deeply Eddie and Amy affected him. Yeah, he's guilty and he's grieving. Yeah. yeah. So he's very vulnerable to this, this church camp. He's been separated from his family and everyone that he knows and sort of put in this competitive situation. It's very, very interesting. We also have Jessica (laughs) and her family. Yes. So, I mean, first interesting little thing, you know, again, definitely haunted by her past, right? Before she can move on and really embrace her future as a vampire. I think she has this unresolved business with her family, Mm -hmm. whether she's aware of it Mm -hmm. or not. Is, is debatable. But mm-hmm. one fun thing to share, when we see the Hamby parents on TV and they show a picture of Jessica, 
on the news yeah. broadcast. So that is a picture of me at 16 that they asked me to like bring, <laughs> bring in. And I was doing a play in high school. It's a very, very oh strange play called Dark of the Moon. But I, oh you know, we gosh. were in Appalachia <laughs> in the play. And so I was wearing a very conservative outfit. Oh, that's so yeah, cute. Just perfectly for that little moment there. <laughs> But I think is you know for the Jessica and family storyline, Bill really sets it up perfectly right at the top of the episode. When a vampire's as new as Jessica is, she has no humanity. She's in the grips of an overwhelming number of transformations. There will be times when she cannot control even a single impulse. Believe me, she has many. Yeah. Jessica can't really, she can't be understood by anyone at the moment. You know, Bill, Bill isn't even really trying, He's not trying. And Suki, to understand Suki her. She does. Suki thinks it's like right. a normal teenage girl. And I, and I get the joke in that. I really do. Right. You know, but I, I do think it's, if it is anything like that, it's to the nth degree. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's, it's interesting for me. I, I really saw that n- none of this was forethought for Jessica in my mind. Yeah. This is really yeah. just moment to moment. So what do I mm-hmm. want right now? What am I upset about right now? What do I need right mm-hmm. now? And so when she says, I just want to look at them from across the street, I believe Jessica in that moment. And I wanted to play it that Jessica was, was genuine. But once she sees mm-hmm. her sister, can't help it, right? And, yes. and so none of this is an intentional, I have to go home and attack my right. father. It just keeps building, building, building. And the fun of playing that is that I really could genuinely have missed my dad and go over and hug him and have yeah. that moment and then have it turn. So you get more turns mm-hmm. in it, which I, I think can be really fun. Yeah. And that is exactly how it read because each moment... You know, she's having that really touching moment with Suki in the car and Suki is feeling completely responsible. And then she hears, sees her sister and then she's at the door. Like there there was no thought. There was, it was all reaction. And then her mom is there. And then, you know, in the commentary, Michael talks about how beautifully you played the oh, I want to go inside, but oh, I have to be invited in. And then when you get invited in, kind of the glance to Sookie like, yep, we're invited (laughs) in. Well, there was a moment for me too where Sookie tries to stop it. And I remember Mm -hmm. the thought that I had and the, what I wanted to play was like that flash of anger, that little like, don't Uh you dare. You know, like right. I am now, there's right. a monster in me now that could take you out. <laughs> no, she right. doesn't. But I didn't, and I right. didn't want to give away. It's a subtextual thing, right? But yes. it's the, as we were talking about those inner monologues, those thoughts that are going on in your mind that you don't actually get to share. And I often say the writer's job is the lines. My job is everything I don't get to say. And that yes. is just what supports yes. the words. And so it's those little moments of like, a flash to her of anger, but then I get invited in and that's what I want, you know? And and so using your attention, your focus to kind of help clue Uh the audience in to what that inner monologue is. Yeah. Cause she really is a teenager with superpowers, (laughs) which is terrifying. Right. Like that's, 
It's terrifying. And then there's so many great moments in there because you really are genuinely to, to be hugged by your yeah. dad. But then when he starts yelling at you, it's like, uh-uh, never yeah. again, it's a dude. Quick, a quick Sorry. Flip. I think for someone who's never had any power to suddenly now mm-hmm. feel this rush of, I am actually more powerful than you. Um, mm-hmm. Like, ooh, who could, who could let go of that temptation? You know, pass that by. Who could ever let go yeah. of that new yeah. power, that new temptation. And then, you know, dad Bill yes. shows up and I don't, I don't think you've been commanded as a maker. No, I have, have you not been commanded yet. as a maker? That's the first time. Right. So he gets to be mm-hmm. dad, like, cause that otherwise you would have gone, screw oh, you, yeah. dude, you can't get invited in. I'm going to oh, kill yeah. this asshole. But I command yep. you and you have to stop and you do have a look that's like, oh, yeah, I can't <laughs> believe I have, I can't. There's something in me that won't, some magic that literally won't allow me to do this. And that you know, I think you. we get more in depth of what that command maker progeny uh, connection is mm-hmm. as the seasons go on. Some of that evolves mm-hmm. a little bit depending on the circumstance, but it never really bothered me because I feel like in all relationships, you know, we are more connected at different times. We listen better yeah. at different times. And so it feels like sometimes the relationship, the depth of it, the length of it, what you're asking can change the flavor of what that magic is. So it never really bothered me that it shifted. But so one cool thing to share, so that the the dad smash, <laughs> as we mm-hmm. call it, when I grab yeah. him and shove him up on the wall. So yeah. the way we did that is it, we were shooting in someone's house. They built a fake wall in front of a real wall with about, okay. I'd say maybe six inches behind it between the spaces. Yeah. And then the drywall of the fake wall is scored on the back so that it will break okay. more easily. They then okay. put dad, me, and a camera all on one dolly, which is basically like a wagon, right? Oh. And they've latched us all in so that we can't fall off. And we go one, two, three, and a strong grip just rammed us into a wall. Oh my god! I will be very honest that the first few times we did it, the wall did not break. So this poor, poor actor just got slammed into a wall a couple of times. Now he swore to us he was okay. They put like boards under his clothes on his back so that there's some extra support and protection back there. But not at all soft. I mean, boards are not... They just just prevent it. I'm sure he had probably some bruising, something going on with all of that. (laughs) But what's amazing to me with these stunts is you go, oh, they must have done something. But no, no, we just find a safe way to actually do the thing that happens in the yeah. scene. So he was yeah. a great sport about that. I remember feeling really yeah. bad, even though I'm doing nothing. It's literally just hold still and try to look like your legs are moving. You know. Uh-huh. Well, I also I want to give credit to Michael and our cinematographer on this, our DOP. The end shot. It's like this, you know, Mr. Hamby POV shot, and you see Jessica. You know, in this, it's this very, very wide lens that's very tight uh, on the actor in the in the moment. So it's me at the beginning, and then when Bill comes in, and it's yes. really great because he, he he ends the whole episode on this snarl from Bill. Yeah. And the fact is, we have learned that Bill has already killed one child abuser. 
And he is right. so angry at Suki for all of this happening. I mean, he's so the cliffhanger angry. of this is very exciting. <laughs> Even knowing what comes up, I'm like, oh, he's going to kill them all. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, is, this is really bad. She was just like, I don't want to have any more deaths on my conscience. And she's going to have like a whole family slaughtered. <laughs> no. Yeah, that is a great cliffhanger. Yeah. Like when the credits pop up, you know, the Ooh. end music and the the words on the screen, I'm like, oh, speaking of all of this brilliance of cinema, yeah. you know, we owe so yeah. much of that to the director of this episode, which is Michael Lehman, who is here today to share with us all of the secrets to great filmmaking. Yeah. Hi, Michael. Oh, my Michael. God. Oh, wow. Look at the two of you. Oh, my goodness. It's so great to see you. You are infamous on this podcast already because anytime we come to an episode of yours, we're like, oh, so this is why this episode is funny. Right. (laughs) It's because of Michael Lehman. And I've said this with many of the different people we've interviewed where I don't really know what you do. You know, that... (laughs) I, right. I don't really know what anyone else does because we just are all professionals. We show up when we do our, our part. Mm. I was going to say little part, but that doesn't apply to the director. I think people think that it's about getting the actor's performance in the right place, but that's such a small part. Really? I mean, it's a huge part, but like your job begins so far in the past before actors show up and then it lives beyond all the way through editing. The one thing I've thought when I watch directors is like, oh my God, I never want to do that job because (laughs) you have to answer and make decisions on 8,000 things every day. As a director, you you look at a number of things. You First of all, you look and see whether you like the show, if it already exists, if it's just a script. Mm -hmm. So let's say it's a script for a pilot. Mm -hmm. You think about Okay, what sort of style am I going to use to tell this story if if I do it? Mm-hmm. And as we all know from watching all the stuff that we watch, there are many, many different approaches that one can take visually. So the director mm-hmm. does play a hand in, mm-hmm. you know, everything from what are the what is the color scheme to what kind of lenses are we going to use? You mean active cameras? Is the camera going to sort of recede and be invisible? Blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. And then you think about tone of performance Mm -hmm. and which actors would be good for that and who Mm -hmm. gets the tone and Mm -hmm. who doesn't get the tone but might fit the tone by not getting it, which is always a fun thing. Right. We get a lot of that. Interesting. Um, Okay. Directing is creating a jigsaw puzzle where you don't know what the final puzzle is. So you you create all the pieces. Yeah. Yeah. You've got all the pieces. And not only is there no box top, but there's an infinite number of possible box tops. Right. right. So you're what you're doing is you're choosing all the right pieces to fit together to make what you think is the best box top you can conjure. You know, and so yeah, it's I don't complicated. ever want that job. I'm curious in a series because one thing I've noticed with True Blood, and I think this speaks maybe to Alan, is that things like telepathy or glamoring, it isn't like there's a set way that the show does that. It feels like every director has been given the sort of freedom to put their own stamp on it and try it differently. And I'm I'm just so curious if that's common, if that was the case, what your sort of feeling was about your impact on how the show was shot. 
Well, nobody on True Blood, nobody ever told the director how to shoot a scene. Yeah. You know, wow. we were never told, use these kind of shots, do it this, this is way. This how we do, do glamouring. Yeah. 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 Kind of thing. And, you know, some of us, like Scott Winant and myself, were involved from early on in the right. show and stayed involved. And we did things the way we did them. So mm-hmm. I would look at what Scott did because he's a great director and I, I liked his episodes and I'd say, oh, you know, he does the glamoring this way or he does this <laughs> that way. And and I'd say, good, I like that. I want to do that. I want to mm-hmm. continue that. And um, I, I'm sure Scott never looked at my episodes, but if he had, he would have seen how I did things. But the thing is, is that you, you want a sense of continuity and you want to do things in a way that works for the show. So mm-hmm. I do know that some directors who came in and you'll look, you'll see that there's some directors who came in and did one episode and they mm-hmm. never came back. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because they weren't good directors. They're all good directors. Yeah. Anybody who was going to be considered was very capable. Mm-hmm. Sometimes directors came in and they wanted to make the show different than what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they wanted to put their director stamp on it. Huh. Mm-hmm. And that's perfectly legit. And it's something that every director, because directors also have massive egos, they, <laughs> they all want to do this. Mm-hmm. But I think when you're dealing with a television show that works and that has a strong creative person behind it, like mm-hmm. Alan, uh-huh. that you don't you don't mess around with the things that work. You don't pretend right. as if you know better. Right. You right. try to make better versions of what is working in the show. Right. Okay. You don't try to reinvent that wheel. Right. And so I was very careful in True Blood because I came in early enough that the the style of the show hadn't been entirely established, right, you know, right. that people were still working it out. I felt like I had a lot of room, you, you know, if I, if I did a glamoring scene, I said, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to yeah. try it this way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if that worked, then it was good enough for me. And right. if, if nobody said, we hate the way you glamour here, you know, <laughs> and they, they never did, but they yeah. might, you know, so you do have an obligation to continue the style that's been established for a show. If you're coming in as a director on something that's already been set up. Mm-hmm. If you direct a pilot or if you direct within the first five episodes of the first season, mm-hmm. you have a lot more room to help create a style, a visual style mm-hmm. and an acting style, mm-hmm. because it takes a while for shows to find their footing. Yep. You know, everybody says, oh, the pilot really sucked, but the show got really good. And I would say the show hits its stride. Yep. Weirdly that I would say this. Episode four. Oh. It always seems to happen. <laughs> it does, though, doesn't it? It is. It, it, it kind of does. It really kind of does. To come in as a director and do episode four of a new series is, is great. It's a pleasure. Yeah. It's so interesting. Whenever we interview someone, I want to go back now. It inspires me to go back and look at these scenes. But... What are some of your favorite type of scenes that you shot on True Blood or maybe even least favorite? (laughs) Because I know for an actor, like all of them were unique and different and satisfying in different ways. Well, first of all, I did so many scenes on the show that if you say, what are my favorites? (laughs) There's no, there's no way I could come out. Me too. Obviously, my favorite scenes were the ones that had Deborah. (laughs) And Kristen. See, this is why we love yeah, Michael. I yeah. mean, he really and, knows how to talk to us. But, but that that is actually true because the two of you are absolute favorites. And mm. so I do remember working Kristen with you for the first time and yeah. how much fun that was. It was so fun. Uh, you know, on that first day. And that was your introduction. That was your first day on the show. There are so many examples of favorite scenes like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what makes that show so, uh, really so special. 
But did you do you have yeah. a favorite just in general? Do you prefer shooting more complex dialogue scenes or more complex technical scenes? Or, you know, is there anything there? Is it all kind of for variety? They, they all have different challenges. Mm. And, you know, what I like most is shooting scenes. I'm much more people-oriented mm. in terms of what I really like mm-hmm. and figuring out how how the actors can interact in a way that really is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. You know, that those challenges are the ones that are the most fun to meet. And True Blood was filled with them mm-hmm. because every character's journey was so bizarre. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the scenes that I remember doing, Kristen, in the freezer, you know, with you yes. that were so... They were funny, but they were also yeah. really kind of intensely... Yeah bizarre mm-hmm. and meaningful yeah. and deborah when i remember that first episode we did <laughs> in the house with your father oh, no. and all that mm-hmm. stuff you know they were so good mm-hmm. and and so i get excited and i look at a close-up and i see like your guys eyes and and you see what's going on in your faces mm-hmm. and it's that's the least technical part of filmmaking mm-hmm. you know but mm-hmm. it's the most exciting Scenes that don't have a lot of dialogue mm-hmm. where a story is being told, yeah. they're very cinematic yeah. and mm-hmm. you don't get them in television that much because television is run by writers yeah. and writers, right. for the most part, think that their job is writing words, which is baffling right. to me. Yeah, I right. go, no, you, you're a writer, right. but you're a writer creating a cinema, which yeah. is primarily visual right. and and people watch movies to see behavior yeah. right. and activity. Right. They don't watch movies to hear words. Words are simply part of the behavior. Yeah. Right. Writers hate me when I say this. They That's so hate interesting. it. And I'm That's a really great actually, quote right there, though. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, on True Blood, we had writers who understood this. Mm-hmm. Even when they were obsessed with their words, yeah. mm-hmm. they understood it. And Alan understands yeah. this. He really understands that. That's and Alan's also extremely clever with language, so he can come up with pithy stuff. You know, he's yeah. he, Alan doesn't write long speeches for you <laughs> right. as much as he writes the great zinger liners. Yeah. Right. You know, right? That, that right. makes sense. Yeah. Yes. That, that, that cement a scene that is really about behavior. Right. So we were all very privileged to be able to work with Alan, who understood this, because a lot of television writers who were brilliant, you know, still don't quite get that. Yeah, that is so true. It's so true. And and thinking about all the great, Alan really did hire the right people and then let them do their thing. And so the casting is so remarkable on this show. Everybody. And... The writers and the directors, I mean, the actors really, it's interesting being on a show for this long because at a certain point, you know, we know our characters probably better than most, you know, and we were allowed to inform the writing Mm -hmm. as, you know, usually it works the other way, but Mm -hmm. they did co-create with us and the directors trusted us. And it's a unique experience. I don't know. There's not a lot of experiences like that. No. They, they were very sensitive to what your strengths are yeah. as mm, actors. Yeah, very much. You know, and, 
and this is something I've also told people on other shows, writers who are who get frustrated because they go, I wrote this great scene and the actor never really got it. Mm. And sometimes they say, yeah, no, you wrote a great scene for an actor, but you didn't write a great scene for that actor. Right. Um, and had you had you focused on what that actor does really well, then you wouldn't feel frustrated that you didn't get it all. Right. Because, um, you know, we all have our strengths and and it's it's the, one of the advantages of television is that you keep coming coming back to stories with the same actors. So you can yeah. write for them. Mm-hmm. You know, you can write for the things that they do exceptionally well. Yeah. Well, and as um, an actor, you appreciate that because it feels like they're really listening. It feels mm-hmm. like they're being not only I mean, because obviously your job as an actor is to be inspired by the writer's work and by the director's thoughts and notes. And it's so nice to every once in a while feel like, oh, and they are also inspired by me and what I'm bringing. Mm -hmm. And that's allowing them to, you know, shift and adjust in small but meaningful ways so that this part becomes more and more ours and not just theirs. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, I appreciate that so much. And I, I loved seeing moments where I went, oh, this, you know, this feels like this is a direct callback to that moment that we found in that other scene that wasn't necessarily written in, but we found it. And now they're saying, great, let's run with it. And I I always felt so appreciated in those moments. This show was one where I think there was genuine love for all the actors Mm, from the writers and from the directors. And on True Blood, we we loved you guys Uh, and and really loved what you were capable of doing. We could move into post-production a little bit and just sort of say, you know, once everything's shot and you have you know, 500% more footage than you're going to be able to use. You know, I know an editor will take a pass. So what is your process? How do you fit into that? How are just, how are decisions made on what to cut and what to keep? The process in television, and this is a television show, Mm -hmm. is that directors are only given a few days to cut the episode, Mm -hmm. to do a director's cut. So you shoot everything, and obviously you have an intention in how you shoot about how things are going to fit together. But you also have an intention in how you shoot in providing all sorts of flexibility Mm -hmm. for that. So Mm -hmm. this is a complicated sort of technical thing, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, getting the performances that you know will cut together to bring unified performance that's just what you want if you've done it right you've shot with an intention of how it should be cut together okay and then the editor will follow those intentions pretty much Mm -hmm. and they might see something better that they like and they'll do or they might not get your intention they might do something entirely different and they do what's called an editor's assembly and they've assembled all the stuff it includes everything that was scripted and everything that was performed okay and they've called what they think are the best performances and, you know, the right combinations and pacing and all that sort of thing. We happen to have had unbelievably great editors on True Blood. So, you know, Michael Ruscio and Louise Innes, you know, I mean, we, mm-hmm. th- there were a ton. I mean, the, every editor I worked with on, on the show was amazing. Louise was really interesting because she never cut it the way I intended. Oh. She always cut it better. 
Oh, I was like, wow. how in the world did you know? How would you do this? Wow. You know, and and I mean, every once in a while, I go, what the fuck? You know, I meant to <laughs> see it. This was shot with supposed to be cut this way, and she would smile and go, okay. And then we pull take it apart and put it together the way I had in mind. And sometimes I'd go, see, that's the way it should be. And other times I go, oh shit, you're so much, you 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 did it so much better. Oh, that's so interesting. Uh, yeah, and then when the when the director's cut goes on to the producers, then they do whatever they want with it. In, luckily, in, in True Blood, I felt like they stayed pretty close to, to what we did on set and what okay. we wanted to do. So uh, on one episode, I delivered a cut, and then I saw the producer's cut. And the, mm-hmm. a whole bunch of stuff had been cut into tighter shots. Mm. And okay. I was in a cranky mood. And I said to Alan, I said, you know, I'm really not happy with what you guys did. And Alan, yeah. and I've never got this from any other showrunner ever, said, well, if you're not happy, why don't you go back in and mm-hmm. be specific about what you think needs to be changed? Because, you know, I don't want you to be unhappy with the cut. Wow. Uh, and I was oh like, my God. oh, okay, good. Uh, and I went back in the cutting room. And, uh, and I think it was Ruscio who was cutting that. And I said, you guys replaced all these, these moments here with, with close-ups. And it was, a, it was a scene in particular with Nelson. Mm. Mm. And I looked and I said, okay, you know, show me what you did. Good. Show me what we had in the director's cut. And each one of those cuts was better. Each mm. one of the cuts they had done was mm. better. And I said, oh, I'm just being a complete jerk. You know, hmm. like I had a reflexive response was the sort of visual design of yeah. how, how it should right. go together didn't fit what my preconception was. But in mm-hmm. terms of the actual performances, when I compared them, I liked what they did better. Wow. So, But you would have never known that mm-hmm. and would have had this kind of bee in your bonnet your whole existence <laughs> if Alan hadn't said go back in yeah. and then, yeah. right? That What an incredible bunch yeah. of people. And so I never questioned a cut again. Wow. I really think about editing as being really a much larger piece of the storytelling than we ever give it credit for. It's telling so much of that story in the edit. Yeah. You have to maintain some sort of distance when mm-hmm. you cut things. Mm-hmm. I like to rely on great editors. They're mm-hmm. not on set. They, mm-hmm. they have nothing invested in mm-hmm. anything from the footage except for what they can see. So a good editor mm-hmm. looks at the footage and they they see what's in it and they cut from there. Yeah. Well, we, we want to let you go, but last question would, mm-hmm. I think, working with actors. Are there specific things that you like to do or, you know, how do you, how do you pull out a good performance that is collaborative and not, you know, again, not prejudiced by what's in your mind? Well, you know, and you guys can confirm whether this is actually the case or not, because, you know, you're the best examples. What I like to think is that, you know, as a director, you have to plan out your day and you have to Uh figure out how you're going to shoot things. And so when you have, especially if you have scenes with lots of actors in them, it can get very complicated and and there's only so much time and you need to be efficient in terms of how you block and shoot so that you can get what you need and so the actors can do their work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of directors obsess with like knowing exactly where everybody is at every point in the scene and they write diagrams and they do all this stuff, right? I'm sure right. you've seen it, oh, you yeah. know? 
And mm -hmm. I feel like, no, that's antithetical to the process of acting. I, I want to see the actors be humans in this situation and do what they do. Now, I do have a very, very clear and firm yeah. idea of where I want people to be. So I arrange the props and I set up, you know, the things in the room so that the most likely choices are going to be the ones <laughs> that get the actors where I want them to be. But right. if you make a different choice and that's the choice that works for you, I'm happy to adjust my plans because what I found early, early on in my directing career, that when you shoehorn an actor into what you had in mm -hmm. mind ahead of time, the performance always suffers. Mm -hmm. It always suffers. Even when people, when the yeah. actors are totally agreeable and go, great, I'll do it exactly the way you want. No problem. And, uh -huh. and people, actors go up on their lines. Mm -hmm. They don't hit their marks, all this sort of stuff, uh -huh. because they're now thinking, Oh, the director told me I have to be over here at this point, so I'm going to do everything to mm -hmm. get there. It takes away from all the internals that make your performance so much better. Right. I, I like to think that a director's job is to anticipate the choices that other people will make. Mm -hmm. Make the choices that you want to make and then do everything you can to make the people you're working with feel as if the choices they made on their own are exactly the same choices that you would have them make if you control it. Huh. So, you know, I want you to make your choice. I want you to own your choices. You mm -hmm. have to feel that they're your choices yes. because they are your choices. But I want your choices to be what I would like you to choose. Does, does that <laughs> right, make sense? Right. It, it's like any good relationship, uh, right, really. Right. And, and, right. So, and people, I sometimes try to explain this to people and they go, oh, so you manipulate everybody. They go, no, I don't. I don't manipulate anybody mm -hmm. at all. I try to mm -hmm. set a scene so that the choices the actors make coincide with the choices that would work best for what all the other elements that I have to control, you know? Yeah, because yeah, you are the captain of the ship. All I know is it was so easy and wonderful and yeah. seamless and fun to work with you that you were this perfect safety net. I want to also make art with other people. And ultimately, I'm, I did this. And if I still do it, it's because I really want to hang out with people and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that we had that on True Blood and, and in a very rare way. And, you know, Stephen Moyer is another. Stephen is very, very bright and he's very aware of everything that's going on. Yeah. And and yeah. he can be very controlling, but he also understands that it's a collaboration yeah. and he knows how to yeah. work with everybody really yeah. well. And he's a lovely person. So, yeah. you know, I always enjoyed working with Stephen because he had opinions and he had a point of view mm -hmm. and he would mm -hmm. tell you, but mm -hmm. he would tell you in a respectful way and in a nice way and usually in a fun way. Yeah. So that, mm -hmm. you know, we could do that. Yes. And Anna, who also has strong point of view and yeah. and is incredibly well prepared and talented and, and awesome. She also yeah. was very respectful of directors, you know, yes. like remarkably so. Mm. And she, she'd let you know if, if what you were asking her to do was not what she thought was right. But <laughs> yes. um, but she would do it in a way that was incredibly respectful. So yeah. working working with those guys was just so much fun. Yeah. We laughed a lot. I mean, I was Alex and I, you know, had a ball. And Stephen, too, I was with him a lot. And, and there was, you know, they're just funny yeah. people. They are. And, you know, as I said, when we started this this thing here... True Blood is a comedy. And, <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't see it that way. Uh, a lot of people think it's, right. you know, a drama about vampires and because all that functions mm -hmm. really well. And I always said, 
I could care less about vampires. Yeah. I have no yeah. interest right. as a as an audience member or a director. Right. The vampire part is not interesting to yeah. me, although the blood no, and guts and gore fun. is. I love all that stuff. Yeah, but yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. But the that's idea, the icing. yeah, yeah, that's the icing. It's everything that the show was yeah. really about, and the humor that was involved that made it so great. And yeah. being vampires gave us the opportunity to go in all these that's fabulous it. directions. So, when you think about your experience on True Blood, are there three words that come to mind? Wow. Oh, my God. Three words. Three descriptive words for your experience. Does not suck. Hey! The perfect <laughs> response. We love it. Oh, my God. That's so perfect. <laughs> oh, my God. We adore you. Oh. Thank you so, so oh, much wow. for coming on and talking with us. It was so wonderful to see Michael. Somehow it brought me back into the True Blood world more than anyone almost because yes. he's he's was the head of my we world. We saw him so much. I mean, you know, we've, right? we've you know interviewed a lot of people on here, but many of whom we spent less time with them working than we have right. socially. But really, Michael, right. I mean, we worked with him on a dozen episodes. But you're right. That That's it. Like, it's almost like he was always yeah. there. I mean, he was right? a fixture of the true blood world. A fixture. And he's, you know, as yeah. he said in the interview, he's not blowing his own smoke, you know, when he says that yeah. he helped establish what this show looked like, felt like, yes. what performances was expected of the actors, you know, coming in yeah. that early and being that much of a figurehead. He sounds so modest, but he had a huge impact on the show that we see today. A huge impact and what a wonderful, lovely, sweet presence. He's just brilliant. Next week on Truest Blood, it's hard to tell just who are the bad guys and who are the good. Sometimes the devil wears a halo and a saint might just have fangs. And we are thrilled to get a chance to speak with writer and producer Rayelle Tucker. Her sensational work over six seasons of True Blood is just the beginning. We adored her episodes, and 203 is one of the best. So be sure to come back and get all the juicy details. Thanks for listening, Truvies. Subscribe and follow wherever you listen to your podcasts, and we'll see you next week. Y'all come back now, you hear? Got any burning questions you want answered on Truest Blood? Post them on any and all social media platforms using hashtag fan club questions, and we may feature them on the show. That's hashtag F-A-N-G-C-L-U-B-Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S. Truest Blood is produced by Safe Haven for HBO Max. Executive producers are Janina Kavankar, Kristen Bauer, and Deborah Ann Wool. Our producer is Gabrielle Gallon, and our audio producer is Christopher Wool. Our theme song was recorded just for this podcast by Jace Everett. Additional music was composed by Timo Chen. And remember, you can watch all of the original episodes of True Blood on HBO Max. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show, like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. <laughs>